We're in a series, so let me give you just a little catch-up, if you will, as to where we are as you get your Bibles out and get ready to study the Word of the Lord with me together. We're in a series called Blessings, Living in Covenant. We talked about that there that the Apostle Paul said that there were three types of people on the planet. This is all review. That there, are, there are, is a barbarian mindset. And that barbarian mindset says victory is through threat and intimidation. I use the example of uh, ISIS. That is a form of barbarian thinking. Then Paul said there is another type of thinking which is Greek. And the Greek mindset says I can, uh, with my own Secular humanism is the basic of the teaching of Greek uh, thinking. That I can, if we leave humans alone long enough, they'll get better and better and smarter and things will get better and better. The only problem with that theology or that theory is that everything on the planet denies that fact. Because it doesn't advance, it declines apart from the third type of thinking and that is Hebrew. The God of the Hebrews when we begin to figure out who our God is, and this series about knowing God as a covenant, a blood covenant God. And with each step of that, I hope that it makes more and more sense to us as to who the God, this God that we serve. For the first session, we talked about our robe, exchanging robes, and what that means, as you'll watch through this process, is, is I call it the great exchange. He takes our robe of sin, of humanity, of failure, and of flesh. He takes that robe for, uh, away from us and puts on us, if you're in blood covenant with, with God the Father, he puts on us the robe of righteousness. That's a good trade. That's a good exchange. The second part of a blood covenant, as they would share in the, the exchange of coats, then they would do the exchange of belts. And what we found out, that's where the weapons were held as they, as they would do their work or as they were in battle. And so that represented my weakness I exchange for his strength. My sin for his righteousness. My weakness for his strength. And then today we're going to look at the third process or step in an Old Testament blood covenant uh, event. The third step is the exchange of the cutting, the actual killing and cutting of the sacrifice, the animal sacrifice as we're looking at it right now from an Old Testament eyes. And this great exchange is my unfaithfulness for his faithfulness. Every step along this covenant, you're going to see how God uh, is making an offer for us that there is really no way that we could uh, refuse it. So the question I want to try to answer today is, why is the blood covenant necessary for me and you to be right with God? Why is that such a big deal? The Hebrew word for covenant is barith. And the definition of barith is that you take, make an incision till blood flows. That's the definition behind the word covenant. So when you hear new covenant or old covenant, we're talking about blood flowing in both from the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And when you, this is the part of the covenant where you have to take a moment, take a deep breath and realize, I'm about to step through the blood of this covenant 
and make a commitment for the rest of my life. And it is a very serious commitment or covenant that is being made here. That's why we have to consider, do I want to make all of that exchange with God for all of my weakness? Because the scripture says that if we fail in this covenant, after we've made this promise, after we've walked through the sacrifice, I'll, I'll define that in just a moment. But after we walk through the blood of that sacrifice and we say our promises or receive the promises from God, always at the end of it, each partner would say, may the same thing happen to me that happened to this sacrifice if I break my part of the covenant. And when we're doing that with God, we know one side of that is going to be faithful. The other side of it, if it's based on my faithfulness, is scary. But we're going to learn some things today about this covenant that God made that rescued us and rescued me. So I'm so grateful for it. To walk in a covenant relationship, we have got to be willing to give up the position of lordship of our life. When we walk through the covenant, we're saying, I am no longer going to live for me. I am going to live for my covenant partner. And the covenant partner we're making today is with God himself. God the Father in the Old Testament and God the Son in the New. And do you remember one thing that Scripture says that God hates, you Bible students? What is the one thing throughout Scripture you hear God hates? What do you think it is? Yeah, he hates that, but he hates this one word I'm looking for. It's called pride. He said, this is the thing that I hate is pride. You know why? Pride is the thing that keeps us from surrendering ourselves to that other partner in a covenant. And therefore, it's like God's making covenant with us, and yet with my pride, I'm standing back and won't submit to that. God says that's the thing that stops the work of his power of his kingdom flowing in our life. My pride. I struggle with it. Do you? If you don't, is the person beside you, do they struggle with it? Hold your hand up. Just kidding. <laughs> All right, here's what the picture looks like. They would take an animal, a cow, a goat, a lamb, and they would sacrifice or take the knife. It's a little graphic. If you're a farmer, it's not too bad, but if you're city people, it might be hard. But they take a knife and cut the neck of the animal and the blood bleeds out in, on the ground in this area. So that's the covenant. The covenant was cut. The blood is spilled. Then they actually go through, this is the third part of the blood covenant. They would take the, the utensils, knives necessary and sever that animal down the center so that one half would be laid on this side of the blood that's spilt here. The other half the animal would be laid here. And when you would begin to make the covenant, each partner then would walk through the center of that sacrifice. And in the middle of the sacrifice, they would say, this is my, what I am making a covenant with you about today. They would walk through, the other partner would walk through the center, and they would make their covenant, <clears throat> covenant with that person or situation. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, that animal was very significant. If you'll remember, the animal that they would use for sacrifice had very strong instructions or restrictions put on the sacrifice. It had to be without blemish. 
had to be without spot. They wanted the purest of the blood to be spilt. Because from God's perspective, if you'll read it in Scripture, that life is in the blood. If you'll read Scripture, you'll see it. The life, the, and this is probably bigger than my mind right here can comprehend, but God says life is in the blood. And the purer the, light, the blood, the purer or the stronger is the testimony of the life that comes out of that sacrifice. In Genesis chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, let's start there today. I want to go back to one of the original, it's not the only, it's not the first covenant, but it's one of the most significant covenants recorded in Scripture in Genesis chapter 15. And I'd like for you to follow along with it and make note of the steps and the actions, the covenants, the promises that were made here and how it was made. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This is before he became Abraham. This is Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord. I mark that in my scripture because I think you should too. Abram believed the Lord. That's where it starts. And he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I, how can I know what I will gain or possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Those were the animal sacrifices. Abram brought these to him, cut them in two, arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they will serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch, which represent God walking through the, through the sacrifice, appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephanites, Amorites, Canaanites, 
Girgashites and Jebusites. I should have an applause. Because I made up half of those ites. <laughs> but that's the passage that I wanted just to look at because it's very significant to see what the Lord did here in this thing. God asked for the sacrifices. Abraham brought them in. Remember, severed them. The birds, they just removed their heads and put, let the blood drain. And it's called um, vicarious. In other words, these animals were sacrificed in, for a period of time in the Old Testament. I'll talk about it a little bit later, but notice this. As you read, when people were forgiven for their sin, actually not forgiven, atoned for their sin in the Old Testament, once a year, the high priest would go in after blood sacrifices, after ritual cleansing. He would go into the Holy of Holies, and there they would sprinkle the blood, the purest blood that they had, the animal blood sacrifice. And the scripture says it would be an atonement for that people, for the Hebrew people, for a year, because that high day of atonement came around one time a year. So that one act of sacrifice and blood spilling and sprinkling covered people's sins for a year. A cover, an anointing or this concept of uh, the atonement is to cover. Please catch the difference. The Old Testament is you are atoned, covered. The New Testament under the blood covering of Jesus Christ it is re, there is remission or the removal of sin. That's a big step. It went from just covering sin to removing sin. Why? You know why? All of this early sacrifice was shadows uh, of something coming in the future which is much greater. The blood of Jesus. Spotless. And in, his, in that blood that came from that spot, spotless sacrifice of Jesus came a power that is a power over death. It has resurrection power within it. And it not just covers your sin. I don't know if you can catch it. It removes your sin. Past, present, future. Removed by the power of the blood of the New Testament sacrifice, Jesus. His blood is very powerful. What does this mean? We begin, do you know the outer court, you know, the, uh, the, the tabernacle of the Old Testament was made of the outer wall, and it's called the uh, court of the Gentiles, and then there was an inner wall that's called the holy place, and then inside the holy place was a smaller room called the holy of holies, and it's the place that the mercy seat was there, a lot of symbolism, but on the mercy seat, God's presence was there. Now, we're probably all tired of, a, of trying to understand a God that somebody else explains what he is and what he isn't. Because everybody, all humans, have our own ideas of what this means. And many times we've turned God, this God that we serve, this covenant God, into like a Santa Claus. God, I want this, and I want that. We've turned him into a genie. If we do this, then he'll give me this. And what I need you to understand, this God that we serve is more powerful than you have any, the slightest concept of. 
And I'm putting myself in the same way. There's no way for us to understand how powerful this God is that we serve. But I will tell you this, listen. Every one of us in this room are required to make a direct contact with our Creator. Every one of us. If you're expecting to be okay at the end of this journey because your grandpa was a pastor, didn't work. Because your mom and dad were good people, that's good for them, doesn't work for you. Every one of us have to come in direct contact with this Creator God And you know the only way to do that is there has to be a blood preparation. We can't walk into the presence of God. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous to the maximum extent. He is the definition of all of those things. And I'm the definition of all the opposite of those things. So there's no way I can walk into the presence of this almighty God except for there to be the sprinkling, like the Old Testament sprinkling of the blood, That allows me entrance. And when Jesus went to the cross, you remember what happened to the veil in the temple? The thing that separated everybody from the position or the presence of God? The veil? Remember what happened when that first drop of blood hit the ground from Jesus? That that veil rent the power of the blood. It tore that veil. That means because of that sacrifice... We can walk right up into the presence of this holy God. If you haven't been there, you've got to be there. You've got to know him. You can't just know about him and think everything's fine. And I'll tell you this, once you've been in the presence of an almighty God, you won't come out the same as you were. You won't come out because I know folks that say, claim the name of Christ and have some of the greatest venom in their heart and their life. And it's not me to judge, but someday God, they'll stand before their God. And they will know where they stand. I love this passage. There's so much in that little passage I read. I could spend a week with you on it. But I want you to notice something. Who walked through the covenant? Did Abraham? Did Abram walk through that covenant? No, he says he was in a dark, he was in a sleep. He was in a trance or something. A dark place. But who walked through the covenant? God. Who made the covenant promises? God. Did Abram? He didn't. I want you to understand, this blood covenant is all of God. And when we go to the New Testament and look at it, that blood covenant of Jesus Christ is all by Jesus. He did it all. You heard the song, Jesus paid it all. He did. And all to him I owe. We do. So that's important for us to understand. Go to Hebrews, if you will. I want to show you some New Testament concepts about this this thing we've been looking at. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23 is where I'd like to start. I don't know if you're still with me, but you act like you are, so I like it. Keith, good to see you, buddy. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23, you see it? It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, animal sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves will be better sacrifices than these. So you see, he's looking back at the Old Testament. He said, that's just copies of what's getting ready to happen in the New Testament, which is going to be real. 
All of these were only copies or only shadows of the covenant that was coming. Look at Hebrews 10, 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All it did was, all it did was have an atonement or a covering. The live animals could never remove sin. The best it could do was to cover it for that season. The blood of bulls and goats was a temporary appeasement until the final ultimate blood covenant was made by Jesus Christ himself. And by the way, he was the last covenant sacrifice ever made or ever needed. When the perfect purity of blood was sacrificed that paid for us, that's the last time it was ever needed. So you wonder what you need in this life? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's absolutely true. Nothing you'll ever find in these, this journey, whether it's a day, you know, you lived a day and went home, or if you're 110 and you're barely cranking, and whatever you are in that journey, all you need is Him and that blood covenant. And if you've not done that, I'm praying, I've been praying all morning, that you don't leave here today until you find that. Enter through the blood covering of Jesus Christ, right into the presence of God, until your life is changed. Hebrews 9, 24. Four verses here. I'm not going to read all day, but these are important. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. That's the old covenant. That's the tabernacle. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. That means he's, he's at the present, in the presence of God. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that was not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you see that? Do away with sin. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people. Amen? Well, that's weak. So Christ was sacrificed, listen, to take away the sins of many people. Amen. That's our hope. I mean, that's it. Bottom line right there. That's our hope. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin this time, but to bring that final salvation to those who are waiting for him. He will bring that final act of salvation. Then when the Lord was meeting with the disciples, recorded in Luke chapter 22, he said, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which has been poured out for you. This perfect blood has been poured out for you. And it was not an atonement this time. It is the removal for the forgiveness of sins. All of the shadows of the Old Testament covenant were fulfilled in Jesus. They were, they were shadows foreshadowing. And when Jesus came, that was the full plan of God for the redemption of mankind. And it's vital that you understand this. How do you get into covenant with Jesus? Well, you take your old sin 
robe off and let him have it. And then you, you receive the coat or the robe that he provides you and it's called righteousness. He says it's a righteousness not of our own, it's of a gift of God. We put on his righteousness. How do you do that? By faith. You bring your sin and you say, God, I'm a sinner. I have no hope. God said, I've already paid your price. Here, let me have your coat. And here's mine. That'll cover you. Scripture says that when God looks down on those who are covered in the righteousness of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, all they, you know what he sees? Jesus. That freak you out just a little bit? When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Because you, you got his robe on. His royal robe. His high priest robe. His kingly robe. I could go on and on and on what that means. But that's who you are in God's sight. Now the enemy's real good at lying to you all day long about how nasty and awful we are because we know we're from that. But that's not how God sees you once you've been to the cross and received the blood of Jesus. Change your, exchange our weakness for his strength. Put on his belt. Exchange his, our unfaithfulness for his faithfulness through this sacrifice. Can I ask you a question? Have you done this? Honestly, have you done this? If there's question, if there's a lot of doubt and you have no memory of any kind of a commitment like that of your life to the Lord, you're probably not right, even if you've been in church from a baby. Because it requires that we each meet our Creator through the blood of Jesus. And ask him for his forgiveness. For him to make covenant with us. And it's so good to know that we are weak. And if the enemy went against us. We sang songs today were all covenant words. I don't know if you paid attention to it. Nothing formed against me will stand. He's got the whole world in his hand. You understand? We sang words like, we sang words of the covenant. In my weakness, the enemy, all he has to do to me is say, boo, and I'm out. But if my covenant partner has the belt and, and it has all power and all authority, and all he has to do is say a word and it's done. Remember what he said to the stars? Let's have some stars. There they are. So if my, if the, my covenant partner can handle anything that I ever face way beyond what I could ever consider I don't have to be afraid because I can get behind him and act strong right or I can be in front of him and he comes behind me and who's ever in front of me sees him and they I think I'm strong but they're, they're actually looking at my covenant partner behind Turn quickly, I'm going to close with Deuteronomy 28. <clears throat> you want to know why a nation prospers and why a nation fails? You want to know why? It's not Greek thinking that we're going to get smarter and better. It's not barbarian, we're going to come in, we're going to turn this into a caliphate. That's not what changes a culture. I'm about to show you what God says changes a culture. Deuteronomy 28. 
This is obedience to the covenant of promise. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Here's what he said. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed in the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in. You will be blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but he, he will make them flee from seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to do. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. Do you want any of this yet? To send rain on your land in seasons, to bless all the work of your hands, to lend, watch this, you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. But don't turn aside from the commands I give you today to the right or to the left following other gods or serving them. I could go on and I want you to go on. If you would see what happens when we break covenant with God, it's the opposite of everything I just said was blessing. Just the opposite. You want to know why a nation is blessed and prospers? You want to know why a nation fails? It all has to do with God. And our response to his loving act of covenant upon us, his people.